This is Mental Selling. This is the sales podcast for people that are dedicated to making difference in customers' lives and have a purpose beyond just a paycheck. I'm your host, Will Milano. Let's get right into the show. Today's guest is Ryan O'Hara. I actually first met Ryan at a conference about three years ago, and we had a good conversation there. And I've been following him on Twitter and LinkedIn ever since and really enjoyed and, and learned a lot about his perspectives on selling and prospecting. And I've always really enjoyed the creative and fun ways that Ryan gets across some really important messages for salespeople. So I I thought it was going to be a great opportunity to have Ryan join us. If you just read his the about section of Ryan's LinkedIn profile, you'll get a great example of the unique and, and fun way he approaches messaging. So Ryan, thank you. I appreciate you being with us today. Thanks, Will. I appreciate it. I feel like there's pressure now. If you read my about section, just quick lesson for sale, people that are selling or doing stuff in marketing, it's a good example of showing, not telling. And that's kind of what happened is I, I, many years ago, I did a video where I was telling people, Hey, you need to show, not tell. And then I looked at my LinkedIn profile. I'm like, man, I'm just telling everybody everything about myself in the profile. I'm like, that's dumb. I'm just going to show them instead. (laughs) So it's like, it's like what I, for, if you're on a podcast driving and you're like, I don't want you to like crash into a Jersey barrier, like listen to the podcast, trying to look at my LinkedIn profile. I tell a story in the third person is me, but it's clearly me writing it. (laughs) <laughs> and like, and then like in the middle of, I switched the first person and didn't realize I got to go. Like it's right. like, we do like a little bit there. Cause I'm trying to like show people like, Hey, I like doing business a little bit more unorthodox and humorous and stuff. Like Deion Sanders talks about himself in the third person. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Muhammad Ali did too. Another, right. another great. So let's jump, let's jump in again. It's, it's great to have Ryan here. I think everybody listening is going to learn a lot today and let's Start with the fact that you say that you want to help change the way people think about sales. And again, that was one of the things that that I identified early on to definitely have Ryan as a guest on this on mental selling. Of course, it's the focus of this podcast and prospecting, which is your real area of focus and expertise, is such an essential part of a salesperson's success, right? So every salesperson will nod their head and and agree about that. But the reality is that consistent and disciplined prospecting as part of their day-to-day week-to-week role seems to get cast aside in favor of, you know, quote, managing customer relationships or or any another any number of other administrative things that really might could be seen as less of a priority or that should be delegated as elsewhere. So where does the disconnect happen from your perspective between the time and effort that a salesperson, especially in B2B sales, should be carving out versus where they're actually spending their time. Yeah. So it's funny, you go and talk to a lot of people. And I think one of the issues, and I'm not knocking the guy because he's awesome. I've done stuff with him before, but like Aaron Ross, when he wrote and Mary Lou Tyra, when they wrote predictable revenue many years ago, Hmm. one of the things they talked about was like, Hey, you want to structure your sales team with specialists. So you want to have people that do full-time prospecting and then they get deals and give them to full-time closers. And that's what they focus on. The problem is that stuff worked maybe 11 or 12 years ago, but you flash forward to now, a lot more of selling is more individualistic than it used to be. Back in 2008, 2009, when you'd sell to somebody, you usually were selling one organization selling to another. The problem is people are way more individually motivated now. I mean, the average person's changing their jobs every 18 months. So if you know that data point, that means that the first six months they're at a company, they're new and figuring stuff out. The next six months, 
they've you know they're they can change stuff and do a lot in the next six months they're looking for another job they're yeah. they're, they're sneaking down looking at the bottom of their screen waiting for five o'clock to hit every day right. or the top depending on what they use obviously but so that so when you're doing selling and thinking about that perspective i think that one of the things that's really sad is people hate prospecting because they're like ah oh, crap i gotta talk to strangers they're not gonna like hearing from me and that mentality is really bad but the thing is they're not wrong. Like that's how we've been trained our whole life to like blow off salespeople and stuff. If we could nuke sales, start with a brand new fresh dot like word document, pretend you're making it rewriting a whole new report. Yeah. What would it look like today? And I think it, it would be very different. It would be way more personable. Talking to salespeople wouldn't be miserable. And we all can do that. The problem is we're all just stuck in these old habits of things we've been doing for the past 20 years. So that's kind of that's kind of where we're at on it. And I think there's a lot of things we can do to change it. Do you buy into the idea that that sales organizations should have a delineation between the quote hunters and farmers? Or is it really again, mostly in B2B sales, but does it really have to be that everybody's doing both? I think what you should do is I think they're actually very different skill sets. But I think that people that farm should be hunting also. If I'm gonna build a team, let's say I have to fill 20 sales spots on my team, I'm always gonna pick someone that can hunt over someone that can farm. I know that's probably like contrary to what a lot of people say, but if you can hunt, it's like a freak superpower. You can do anything. Yeah. I'm we're both marketers like now doing stuff and I'm able to book people for my podcast and get people to do things and all this stuff because of the stuff that I learned when I was a hunter. CEOs at companies, when they pitch VCs and try and raise money and talk to investors and, and do things on those ends, like that's all hunting. And that skill set is a lot more difficult, in my opinion, than it is to just build relationships with people. It's true. I think it, it is a it is a unique skill set. It, it's relatively harder, certainly, and, um, and, and I guess more rare just in, in what you find in salespeople. Zoom out for a second and think of this. You are literally messaging and calling and emailing and LinkedIn, like LinkedIn-ing, I guess I'm making that a verb now, social selling. You're, yeah. you're talking to 30 to 100 people a day or trying to and hearing no from most of them. It, it's no wonder people think it's an uphill, value, uh, uh, uphill battle. However, you add in those things and then you add the aspect of what people have to actually do to even just do the outreach today because sales stacks are way more complicated than they used to be too. There's just so much friction. What what you need to look at is, I look at it and say, I'm going to have this list of prospects. I want to figure out a way to attack it in as a creative way as possible and make it so that not only do they feel loved and that I care about them, but they feel like I'm an interesting person that they want to do business with. Even on an individual level at a baseline, they at least want to spend some time with me. And that's, that's how to approach it. That's a very different approach to what, you know, talk about messaging, but that's a very different approach to messaging versus here's who I am. Here's what we do as a company. Let me know if you want to talk or do you, you know, do you want to buy this? That sort of thing. That's, that's very, very different. And, and, and that's where I think most salespeople are going to just end up beating their heads up against the wall, right? Yeah. You think of it from this perspective too. There's a ton of companies that are out there. Every person that's listening to this podcast, you probably have four or five competitors. Unless you're doing something super, super cutting edge. There's Sure, you might have a differentiator. Half these companies that have differentiators, we literally spend hours in rooms like on whiteboards trying to come up with what our differentiators are because there's right. so many that are similar. And the biggest differentiator you have when you prospect into an account is you. You are the only thing. No one can replicate you and the things you have, the experiences, the people you know, what value you can bring to the person, your knowledge that you have, your personality. All those things matter way more than 
what bells and feature whistle features you have on your graph next to theirs on G2 Crowd. Right, because especially when you're prospecting, it's really what you're you're not trying to close a deal. You're trying to establish trust and credibility and reliability, you know, those sorts of things. And so again, that leads to a very different message, right? I've talked to I've talked to teams before. I once went to a company in New York. I'll I'll keep them anonymous for this because I want to be respectful. But I went, they were having trouble with prospecting, and they became Weed IQ customers. They're like, "Hey, can you come over and show us some stuff about like personalization and stuff?" Went to their office. They were using their BDRs. Uh, they had BDRs there. They were using their BDRs for awareness only. Like their perspective was, marketing can spend tens of thousands, millions of dollars on advertising to get to this audience. The BDR can fully control who that who's seen that messaging versus you put a billboard on 95 or something, you know, like you yeah. can't control that, like a CTO that doesn't buy whatever they're selling or a VP of sales or v, like you can't control who's actually seen the billboard right. versus sales. You can. And I just think that's such a backwards way of thinking about it, because every time that one of those reps does a call or an email and they're sending that template, they're turning that prospect to ignore all sales outreach. That's a, re- that's a really good point. One of the other things you just touched on, I want to go a little bit deeper on. So you talked about how the reality is when you're doing prospecting, you're dealing with a lot of either no <laughs> rejection or just flat out, you're not getting response. And, and selling is such a, it's such a peaks and valleys profession, right? It's not consistent instead, you know, every salesperson and sales leader would like it to be very, very steady and predictable. But reality is there's a lot of peaks and valleys, right? And outbound prospecting is a big piece of that. So how do you think salespeople should manage those peaks and valleys so that they're creating ultimately they're they're smoothing out and creating a more consistent pipeline of new opportunities? Yeah, I think the way I kind of approach it, and this is something I you might have seen when we met at the conference. I think we talked about this a little bit. I'm having flashbacks now. I can remember everything. But if 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 you go back and think about it, when you get stuck in a rut and you're dealing with the ups and downs of prospecting, the easiest thing to do to get out of that rut, it's and it's easier said than done is to just do something different. If you're in a rut and you feel like, like I know a lot of people are thinking like, oh, I'm going to use a sales engagement platform. I'm going to have a series of calls, emails, maybe some social touches and stuff. Mm -hmm. If you can approach your prospecting like a marketer, you can have way more fun with prospecting. And this this is something that can help you and inspire you so it doesn't feel like you're doing Groundhog Day and living the same day every day. If I call people with the same scripts and the same... I, I email people with the same cold email templates. I'm literally just pushing buttons. I mean, most of us, we didn't go to college for four years to push a bunch of buttons for people right. and do data entry and keep track of stuff. And if you didn't go to college and you you were able to get a sales job, you you know, you didn't prove everybody wrong and 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 like and get to this point so that you could just push a bunch of buttons. We're not monkeys. You know what I mean? Like right. we're meant to do, we're thinking people. You could actually organize a prospecting campaign that is you doing something really unique and different. And you repeat it over and over and over again. But the thing you're doing for each thing is different and put people through that same process and you'll get the same results. And that's kind of a good way of thinking about it is like doing campaign-based prospecting. I can give you a good example if you want to hear one. Yeah, yeah, please. So um, over the holidays, this one's a little different because it's probably more on the marketing side, but you guys can figure out what we did to replicate it. Over the holidays, we did a marketing stunt but it's a marketing prospecting stunt. And we've done this individually for accounts we're breaking into. But what we did is I put a video out on LinkedIn and I announced to people that we were going to make holiday themed prospecting videos for our customers. Um, and Oh, I saw this. I, saw, I, I did uh, see this and I was curious yeah. how it was going to play out. 
Yeah, like, so what we did is we basically told people, comment with the target account that you wanted us to make a video for, we'll make you a video. And every person that we did it for, we direct messaged a Google Drive link so they could download it and use it in their prospecting. We also posted it on social on our account, and then I ran in and tagged people that I could find that worked at those companies so that they could see it. And I'm making these accounts and these videos for people. They're all holiday themed. They're all really silly. Most mm -hmm. of them were improvised. In one day, we made 39 videos. Wow. However, you know what we're going to do from this? We ended up booking four meetings out of it for our customers so far. We have some people that have meetings, but their qualification criteria is still like in pipe. So like, we'll know the final number in a month or two when we see what happens with these things. It also was the week before Christmas. So a lot of people were out. You know what I mean? Like people sure. take PTO off. Yeah, which is why you need to give it longer. Yeah. But we ended up making like 39 videos from this whole thing. Ne next month, we're going to do the same exact thing. I, we're going to sit down. We're going to film maybe 30 or 40 of these things for our target accounts that we at MeetIQ are trying to break into. Right. We're going we're gonna to do the same exact thing and replicate it. And the cool part is I bet you, well, I know this because we've done it before. I know we'll probably end up hearing back from 40 or 50% of those people. And I, it, I'll get meetings from about 75% of them because we made a really good first impression when we we're actually trying to get in front of them. Add in those things. We're talking one day of work, cranking out a bunch of stuff and then dumping it to some video editor to go cut and put this stuff together. I'm going to end up getting 15 or 20 meetings from one day of work as opposed to you grinding and doing your calls and emails a hundred times a day. Right. And it doesn't mean those things don't work either. You can still do those things, but that's how we have to start thinking about it. You get in a rut and you get in a low point when you're doing your prospecting, change it up, do something different. I remember when I was a BDR back in the uh, 2010 area, I, I used to do some stuff like, um, one of the things I'd like to do is I actually used to write my emails, but as a fictional character. Like mm -hmm. I would be me, but like, I remember I like, I love Wayne's world. I, I like, I grew up loving Wayne's world. It's one of my yeah. favorite movies of all yeah, time. I too, yeah. Uh, yeah. Wayne's world's amazing. Like the bits they do, the comedy and all that stuff. I literally would take a day and I'd be like, man, I'm not hearing back from anybody. I'm kind of sick of doing the same thing. And I'd literally write emails as Wayne Campbell. <laughs> like in the wording of the email would be Wayne Campbell. I wouldn't, it wasn't deceptive either. Like I'd still write stuff as me, but like I would pretend I was Wayne Campbell writing right. an email and be like, how would Wayne write this? And my response rates would go up doing this because like, you know, I'd feel fresh and different. And then after a week or two of doing that, I would go, I'd go back to doing what I was doing before, but I'd mix in things that I learned from doing the Wayne Campbell thing. Uh, I, I, and I do it for a lot of characters. They used to do it as Liz Lemon from 30 Rock. I'd make jokes about like, like one of the things she does on the TV show is she like talks about how she eats cheese at night. Like she has night cheese and like, <laughs> I'd write an email. I'd see someone like worked at like craft foods and I'd be like, I got to get my night cheese on. Like, and I'd write that in my email and I'd, I'd get calls from people. Like they wouldn't even reply to the email. They just call back uh, on some of these. Did they get the reference? Email. Yeah. A lot of them do. Um, the other cool part is if they didn't, it's still really silly. I mean, yeah. these things are meant to make you laugh. The The jokes per second that they do on a show like 30 Rock or a movie like Wayne's World is is the same volume that they're doing. And you know what bums me out is a lot of people hear this and they're probably like, I prospect into serious companies and Fortune 100 company executives and stuff. And it's like, dude, these same people eat Ben and Jerry's ice cream and yeah. watch the same comedies that we do and follow Seth Rogen on Twitter. And like, right. they're all doing the same things that we do. They just happen to be really successful and extraordinary people want to work with other extraordinary people. And and that's a, a good point is uh, there is that misperception, that mentality that prospecting has to be boring, that it's got to be sort of suit and tie-ish, buttoned up, 
cliche language because, you know, well, we're a professional organization, you know, that sort of thing. And I think, and it's one of the things I've seen you do over and over again. It's like, get over yourself a little bit and you can be, you don't have to be serious all the time. And it is one of the things, again, if you're trying to establish your, your personality and your, your brand and, you know, people buy from people, all those things that are very, very true, then shouldn't you try to inject some humor and personality into it? Yeah. It's like, it, it, it is so frustrating because you're already taking a huge chance when you write an email or do a call and you do it for a living. You might as well go all in on the chance. I, I, I grew up in high school. I was that kid that would skateboard with my friends, but I never got better. And they were all good at skateboarding. It's actually how I got into marketing because I used to film skate videos of them. And then I'd cut them up and edit them with my friend, John. We'd like go film and then we'd go edit stuff. And my video editing led to an internship, which led to me getting into marketing. And that intern marketing job led me getting the sales. And then I went back to marketing eventually. All that stuff happened from skateboarding. When you skateboard, if you go up on a ramp and you want to drop in, which is like when you put the board down and go into the ramp so you yeah. can go up back and forth and stuff, you have to go all in or you fall back and crack your head open. Right. You either go <laughs> or you this, don't. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's the same exact thing. There is no, like everyone acts like prospecting is binary. There's sending and not sending. It isn't. It's more than that. It's sending well versus not sending well. Because I could put weight on the front of my four trucks and fall down. But like, if I fall down, at least I'm going to fall forward and have control of where I'm landing versus if I fall back. That's my deep, like Miyagi metaphor that I'm trying to fit in <laughs> would be cool with. But and, yeah, if, yeah. and if you're not doing it, you're not going to learn and get better at it, right? And, and every, there is no such thing, I think, as not doing trial and error. Yeah. Prospecting is a big part of that, right? Everybody's Everybody's got to, you, you, to your point, you've got to dive in to learn. Yeah. And, and if we're stemming from the mental discussion about how do you men mentally change or how do you change your mentality, not mentally, I guess, but how do you change your mentality with sales and stuff? I think it also stems from leadership and operations at companies too. Uh, I think one of the things that I've been seeing a lot of is you see companies that not only are we telling you, hey, be creative, let your reps be themselves, you know, let them tweak their scripts and tweak their things to be themselves and put themselves into the things that they're doing. The other aspect of it is be mindful of the experience that person's going through when they do stuff. Like I, we, yeah. I was talking to an analyst at Gartner uh, last year. He told me the average rep is touching eight and a half applications when they want to, to, to create an opportunity in Salesforce, which is ridiculous. That's like, yeah. imagine if I had to touch eight apps, but if I wanted to email you, Will, it takes me two seconds if we're not selling to each other. Or if I wanted to text you, or it takes me one second. If I want to join I Slack somebody or join a Zoom or... Mm. Or, or tweet or any of that stuff, any of those experiences, it's all one click yet you have, when you do prospecting stuff. So part of it's also operationalizing the personalization so that you're not having, you're having your reps focus on the things they want to think about as opposed to like things that take thinking is where they should be spending their time, right. such as writing and calling as opposed to like doing clicks and things like that. And that's kind of part of the problem too, is like, you need to have like a user experience as mindset when you're thinking about how you operationalize your reps to do this stuff. Well, in good prospecting as a, as a, you know, uh, a subset of, of selling is detective work. Right. And so there, there is that aspect of, you know, quality over quantity. And are you really doing the uh, advanced prep, the research, that sort of thing to make it relevant because relevance is a big part of this. But also you touched on a bit with an important point with sales leaders. I think, tell me what you think about this, but it seems a lot of times sales leaders response to not prospecting enough is just saying, well, you're making 20 calls a week, do 40 this week. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that doesn't 
doesn't really help, to be honest, right? Yeah, they all assume that reps are lazy. But the the thing is, sales reps, a lot of sales, I mean, yeah, there, once in a while, there's going to be a rep that's lazy. We've all been on Salesforce and seen that once in a while. And usually those people don't work out. But part of a leader's responsibility is to energize that person to be excited about what they're selling and how they're going to sell. Absolutely. And like, I could be selling you paper cups right now and I'd be excited to sell because of the things that I can do. I like, I'm, I'm getting excited when I interact and get a response back from somebody that says, that's the best email I've ever seen, or this is how you prospect somebody or like, you know, something that celebrates that, that I have like, and this is me bragging, like our team at Lead IQ has like, everybody's got five of those emails in their inbox, probably just from this month alone prospecting. Uh, they, they hear back from people and hear that because they're putting themselves out there and they're taking yeah. a risk and they're not afraid of the rejection that comes from it. And you also make a good point about the the role of, of sales leaders to help celebrate when people are doing things well and share that across the team so that people can be can be learning from each other. The winch channels at companies, let's say you use Microsoft Teams or Slack or something, everyone has a winch channel and it's always about like updates of what got marked as closed, what in Salesforce. You should have a channel that shows cool emails that someone wrote that got a good response back, regardless of if yeah. it turned into an op or not. Because half the battle is just getting the person to hear back. If I write a ridiculous email to somebody and they write back to me and say, by the way, another tip tactically, put an open-ended question at the end of your cold emails and you're more likely to hear objections. When I get those emails back with objections, my next thing is to pick up the phone and call from the bottom of their signature, whatever cell phone they put in their signature and try to overturn the objection there. And Usually if they're responding, give you the time of day, it's because you gave, you gave them your heart when you wrote out the email to them. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I'm not telling you, everyone listening, you don't have to be silly if that's not you either. You just have to be yourself. Like I've seen reps that are, I have a rep that I knew that was very analytical and like loved going through data and farm and stuff. He now works in sales operations. So like it makes sense. He used to like crunch numbers and then share numbers with somebody and share stats and stuff over emails of things that he'd do his own research on. He used to, he used to do LinkedIn polls, collect the data and then write reports on it and then use those for prospecting. Like you don't have yeah. to be silly. You just have to entertain someone with information. Right. You have to be authentic. Yeah. You just got to be some you. people that can be silly and humorous, but it doesn't have to be for everybody. Another thing you, you touched on earlier, I was actually going to ask you this later, but we'll, I'll ask you now. The comment you made about using video, and you told the story about what you did over the holidays. What do you say to salespeople that are are still hesitant, or or maybe even just simply refuse to put themselves on video as part of their outbound prospecting efforts? All right. So two things. One, it's a little too late at this point. I think it's just part of it's just part of the tools now. You know what I mean? Like video was a gimmick for a little while, and you could do stuff. I mean, we were. We were sending videos to prospects when I worked at Dyne as a BDR in 2011. We would put them up on YouTube as unlisted, then email them to people. It's no longer a cool vanity novel thing. Like, and what's going to, because of that, tons of these reps, I'll, I will get answer your question in a second, but tons of these reps are now sending videos out. The problem is what did reps do? Well, they said, what do I say in a cold email? Okay. I'm going to start saying that in a video. It's right. the same, it's a cycle of things that we keep doing. Like if you go through the history of selling and you go back to the 1800s, people used to do door-to-door -door sales. They'd knock on doors, they'd go to train stations and they'd set up kiosks and they'd sell the business people that were traveling around the United States. They had scripts because they didn't know anything about the person coming up to them. And then what happened was those scripts got evolved to door-to-door -door so you could scale it. And then when cold calling first got introduced, first time, first full-time cold calling role, 1938, 
they took the Chicago Tribune was using it to sell the businesses for advertising. They'd mm. call business lines and just try to sell them spots in newspapers and stuff. They took those same scripts that they were using from door to door, which came from original kiosk and did the same thing over phone. And then it just carried over to cold email when cold email started to rise. We were in this cycle of looking at how we used to do stuff with old things and trying to do those things in the new thing. And that's wrong. Yeah. Video, you could do anything. I remember when a Vidyard first came out, not to plug a specific product, but like you could, you know, those you can use whatever you want, bomb bomb, vidyard, caught yeah. up, go down the list, it's cool. But uh, Loom's another one. Like, but when these things first came out, I remember there was I, I would prospect into accounts like Sprinkler, which is like a social media platform. And I would literally make sprinkler sounds in a video, and that would be my video. I just go, <laughs> I, I this actually happened. I emailed someone at Sprinkler and I'm like, hey, I love your company name. And I've had this skill where I can do a sprinkler sound. I'm going to do it for you right now in this video. Don't judge me. And I just went. And I just did that. Like for people listening to the podcast. Yeah, it was pretty good. I do the hand signal too, like a sprinkler, like a jackass and Will's judging me. But like I email email that out to someone. That's what I'm saying is you as a rep, you have talents outside of sales. You didn't just grow up and say, boy, I can't wait to work in sales someday. You kind of accidentally fall into it. Take the things that you have outside in the real world, put yourself into the video and do that stuff in your video and you'll be less shy and less uncomfortable about it because maybe you're showing them something. Like I have tons of cool stuff around here. I literally have a boom box behind me in this video that I like in my, in my room that I use as a backdrop. I've like put the boom box on my shoulder and like, you know, and like <laughs> made jokes about like music I'm listening to and stuff like, like, I don't know, like you can do a lot of cool stuff. And the neat part is you also can like, throw in music and other stuff in your the, your video in the background because you're you're not publicly putting it out on the internet you're only doing it for one person so like yeah you don't have to worry about infringing on copyrights and stuff right right now with a's that are shy and feeling like hey i'm not doing video at this point it's like you're not doing calling or you're not doing emailing you're losing a whole channel that you could be using the new thing that i've been doing is making videos and i put them out on social and I ask people to tag anyone that they know that works at those companies I'm trying to break into. And so far we have, we're literally a hundred percent shot at doing that um, when we do it. So like I did one where I auditioned to, I auditioned for a company. You can check my feed. I'll just say it. Cause you all saw it. I made a video mm-hmm. for log me and where I'm wearing a tuxedo and I auditioned to be their spokesperson and I'm just <laughs> really terrible. And like we cut this, it's like full fledged production. You don't have to do this and be that fancy, but I put it online. I just said, anyone know anyone that logged me in? We've been trying to email them and all our emails are going to spam, which was true. All our emails for some reason weren't getting sent to them. And yeah. like the video had over like 5,000 views and I go and click into the views on LinkedIn, 1200 of them come from log me in. Yeah. So like I like I'm getting people. They're from all sharing it internally. Like, have you seen this? Yeah. Yeah, they're all copying the link and saying, "Look at what this dude just did online." And and the cool part is, because you're on LinkedIn, the way that the newsfeed works, the algorithms show commonality, and they want to show you things in your network interacting with everybody. So the more right. people, it naturally is a viral fire. It's like putting gasoline in a. It's a in snowball effect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, if you're not doing video, here's a couple things I'd recommend. One, be yourself. Two, do not write a script. Scripts are the devil. You do not want yeah. a script on video. If you, unless you're doing something that's fully functional, what I'd recommend is if you're a sales manager listening, hire someone to do some improv training with your reps. It helps a lot. I did our, we used to have a guy, Rishi Mather, that worked for us. Um, he's working at LinkedIn now. Rishi 
did improv oh, classes. Oh, I remember him from your videos. Yeah. You guys R- did a lot together. I remember when he left, yeah. Rishi has an improv background, and he's now making doing the same thing for LinkedIn. He's going through and doing like training programs for the sales team and stuff. But Rishi did trained everybody at our company on imp- uh, improvisation. Like he's done classes for it. He teaches at the Y in New York, like before COVID, like... We yeah. were like, dude, can you do the same training for all of us? And it made everybody better at cold calling. It made everybody better at video and all that stuff. And you know what's great is you're not slowing down doing video. I actually think it's right. faster for me to say stuff in a video than it would be for me to hand type an email every time. And again, you're saying it literally in your own voice. Yeah. And like you said, I think I think you made a really good point. Just like you shouldn't send emails that you wouldn't in a tone that you wouldn't normally speak in. You can't transfer it to video. I always say that around prospecting emails before you send it, read it to yourself out loud and think, would I ever really say this and speak like this? And if you wouldn't start editing because you shouldn't send it. I will note one thing for people that are curious about trying video. You probably have at this point, but you, most of the videos I get over email, it's always someone just doing what they would have done in a cold email. Like, sorry, like, they just read what they would have said in an email. And I'm like, come on, man. You're like, show me something. I once saw, yeah. I saw one of the Vidyard customer support reps does magic. He does this trick where like he has a coin and he snaps his finger and he, and it lights on fire and disappears in the video. And I'm like, I remember I was like, holy shit, I got to respond to this guy. And I, and he got the meeting. Like I, we were like, we were at risk at churning when we were using them. I'm not trying to mm-hmm. plug them too far. Like, I'm just saying like, yeah, like I, I like, that was the one that we happened to get hooked on and use first. But like when you're thinking about this stuff, figure out what talents you have, find things you have around the house and put those things in, use the video, be like, holy crap, I got to talk to this person. And you know what will happen? You'll feel better about prospecting. You'll feel like you created a body of work. Like I have a giant repo of all my crazy prospecting stuff. I have a folder in my inbox yeah. that says good prospecting. And I just literally, it's some of it's other people. But I also put in stuff that I have that worked and got a response. And then when I'm having a rainy day and putting a blog post together or writing something on LinkedIn, I can go back and show it to people. You literally should have a body of work. Act like you're building a body of work for yourself of good prospecting. And again, share it across the organization with with colleagues and peers, right? Yeah. 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 So I'd like you to help fill in this blank. So a salesperson's current... So we're recording this early in the year, in January. A salesperson's current... Q1 2022 forecast is based on it's a, or I should say it's a result of what? I mean, most of the time it's from the pipeline they built from the previous quarter, right? I mean, you figure most people's sales cycle. Is that a boring answer? Do you want something cooler than that? (laughs) (laughs) No, but but keep going. I I think I know where you're going to go. Yeah. So what you do now, it's the same thing with marketing, by the way, too, if you ever want to get into marketing. Whatever you do now won't impact things tomorrow. It'll impact things three months from now. And it's the same thing with prospecting. You figure you could write the greatest email or do the greatest cold call or leave the best voicemail on the entire planet to, and, to someone. And at best, the highest I've ever gotten for an open rate was 84% on something. And it was like a really crazy campaign thing that I did for that. At best, you're going to get a 50 or 60% open rate think of it from this perspective. When you write an email to somebody in the old day, I feel like I keep saying things about from this perspective. I'm not sure why I'm doing that. But in the old days, you would be in your inbox all day, but all these companies are now using Microsoft Teams and Slack and whatever IM platform you're using for stuff. Yeah, You're not really living in your inbox as much anymore. So open rates are probably declining even more on inboxes. I check my email only once a day now. It used to be like, I'd be in my inbox all day. That's what I was checking. That's what I was looking for and stuff. 
So you you start thinking about it's distracting. Yeah, yeah. I, I've started to do the same thing. I, not just once. A, I'm I'm not doing it once a day, but I shut off email for several chunks of time during the day for that exact reason. I've been literally thinking about setting up like an out of office reply, just saying, Hey, I only check this out in a while. Don't be mad. If you really want to get in touch with me, text me or something. But I, 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 anyway, if you go through and look at it though, you, it's going to take 10 to 15 touches for you to get a response from somebody a lot of the time. And it's just, it's not, it's not because the thing you did is bad or you put yourself out there and tried to do something and they hate you. It's because they didn't see it. It's that simple. Like they just got distracted. You add in all the other things that are distracting the person. I mean, you've got social media, you've got fantasy football teams you're competing with. It's like the same exact thing. You're literally competing with all those, like all those different activities to get attention for somebody. And that is part of the mentality we're talking about, right? Is that patience of you've got to accept, right? That it's going to be 10, 12, 15 touches, that sort of thing. But also making sure that you're using tools to sort of there's so many tools out there where you can, if, if somebody's not responding to you, you can still tell, you know, like you said, what they're opening, are they commenting on something? But, you know, I, I've, I've seen the same thing with, I've heard salespeople say before, well, I posted that on LinkedIn and I didn't get any comments or calls from it. And they're talking about literally like a couple of days later yeah, yeah. or even like a week later. So why should I keep doing that? But you're talking about that that mentality has to be, you know, slow and steady wins the race and persistence pays off. And and that whole thing of of you've got to sow these seeds now that are going to pay off for you, not tomorrow and not next week, but three, six months from now, that sort of thing. So today when you write an email, you're creating an or you, you do a call and leave a voicemail, you're creating an opportunity for the person to get familiar with your name. Same thing with social. There are three things that people look at when they look at a prospecting activity. If it's a voicemail, they're looking at who's leaving the voicemail, what company do they work for, and what is the person saying, right? What are, those are kind of the basic three things. You can't control, you can change what you're saying the whole time, but the things that don't change will be your name and your company. And they're going to be looking at that when they see the preview badge on their phone. They're going to be seeing that when they look at the voicemail and at the end of the voicemail, your name's being left or at the beginning of your voicemail. Tip, by the way, put your name at the end of the voicemail. That's something I'm quoting from John Barrows. But if you put your name at the end of the voicemail and you say the wrong thing, you just hang up. <laughs> like, it's just kind of, and, and the thing that people are always listening to when they listen to voicemail or reading the text that gets transcribed from the voicemail is where did it come from? But the things yeah. that you do today, you're going to be doing for the next two months to get that person's attention. And at some point, Statistically speaking, you will get seen by that person. They will be familiar with you because they'll subconsciously be seeing you coming up in the inbox over and over and over again. That's right. Like I'm thinking of people that have been emailing me since the beginning of the year so far. What's up, Dana? Maybe I will respond to you at some point. <laughs> right. But like you start go- that you start going through that ci- cycle of it over and over again. That's why you got to put the work in, and then you you get the opportunity. And if you're a closing rep your average close rate on inbound deals might be 30 to 60 days. It's probably 90 to 120 days. Uh, I actually saw something that was really cool from Brad Zomek, who's like a really uh, respected demand gen and marketing uh, leader. Go check him out on LinkedIn if you don't follow him. Brad said at any point, one to 3% of your target market is ready to buy. And that's it. Everybody else has other things, no budget. They're hiring and figuring stuff out there in between projects. They already have somebody. So the status quo can't change that much right now or they're too busy, they don't have bandwidth. No one's going to drop what they're doing in their day because they're bored to buy your software or something. So like you, or buy your service or whatever, it's going to take a little while. So like 
That's why it's really important that you prospect today to set up your forecast for Q1. And that's that's kind of my long-winded way of answering it. So like the activities you do today, you have to produce input every day. I'm telling you all these crazy zany strategies that we did for prospecting on this podcast, but we still produce input. You have to put logs in the fire or you won't have any pipeline. Right. And you're, a lot of the, what you're doing with prospecting today is establishing your brand, right? Either your company's brand or your personal brand, both really. Yeah. And, you know, I talk a lot about how creating brand and brand awareness and doing lead generation are not mutually exclusive, right? They're, they're intrinsically linked. You can't do one without the other. You just can't. And prospecting in part is creating your, your brand. Exactly. And and your individual, the hard part that really, I actually think this stinks now because I'm a marketer. I brands in my blood. Like I, like I started in sales, but like I always wanted to work in marketing. Brand is in my blood. And one of the things that sucks is today in B2B, people don't buy from companies, they buy from people. So like, it won't matter. Like, for example, people don't go like Lead IQ's LinkedIn post as much as they like mine or Jeremy Levier or some other people on our team's post. Right. Part of that's because of LinkedIn's algorithm for social selling and the content that you put out. But that's just part of the puzzle. I think a big part of it is people like people. They don't like companies completely as much. We we still get engagement on those pages here and there, but like the real love and the impressions that we're getting on individual profiles is way higher. So which leads to a question you talked about, you know, social and, and you know, the the algorithms that things like LinkedIn have for company posts versus personal, that sort of thing. And we, and we touched on the idea that salespeople have a responsibility and need to help establish their own brand. So, so a big way that's done on social media, why do you think, why is social media and having a consistent presence, let's say, especially on, on LinkedIn, I think for salespeople, why is that important for a salesperson? What, what do you, why do you think so many either still avoid it or just sort of get it wrong about how to leverage those, that as a tool. I think the overarching problem is there are people that are turned off by people that put stuff up online. And I don't blame them. It's because so many people do the rah, rah, look how great I am post. And that's the worst thing I could see. Yeah. Here's the way I look at it. You as a sales rep have three things that you can give every single prospect out there. You have stories from your customers that you're talking to. You have institutional insight that you get from working at your organization that you work at. And you have your own experiences and network. All three of those things are things that you could be putting out on social. And it's not you talking about how great you are. No one ever goes and says, boy, I really like this person who's bragging about all the growth and how great and successful they are. That's not something that gets someone to get engagement and stuff. What you can do instead is if you do a cold call with someone or you do a discovery call with someone and you hear an interesting problem, say, hey, do you mind if I post this online and I'll message you with responses asking for advice on this? Because everyone's got opinions out there. Your buyers have opinions they want to give. I used to sell to CTOs and network admins and system admins. Those guys love sharing their opinions on stuff. Like it, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, I like I was looking uh, before this call, Will, and like years ago, you used to work at Akamai, right? Like think of the people you yep. used to sell there. Like those leaders are like they all are super opinionated and smart and they all like went to MIT and like yes. RPI and WPI. The like, office was literally across the street from MIT. Yeah. yeah. Like all those, all those people that work there, like they all have, they're all brilliant people that get in these positions and stuff. And those people want to offer their opinions online. Not only that, but like it. So if you're posting this stuff, you, you, ha, you can give, make a giving first approach to how you do social and you'll feel like you're not a jerk doing it. That's yeah. if you're reluctant. I think that's a big part of the reluctancy is like some people are humble. They don't want to like 
go out there and brag about how great they're doing. Don't do that. Instead, use it as a way of like crowdsourcing stuff. I I think one of the things that's been annoying for me is I I actually really like the LinkedIn poll feature that they launched. They have a feature now where you can post polls out there. Yeah. Well, the, the, what stinks is people have basically taken it over and just made it into silly polls all the time. And now the new thing in the sales space is everyone jokes about how 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 many like everyone has made a poll at this point about how many polls there are. Yeah, I was going to say I saw that recently because it's getting to be so sort of overkill and some people doing it in in the wrong way. I think I saw somebody on LinkedIn post that like how many people are going to respond to this poll or you know or how likely are you to vote in this poll or something like that. It was funny. Yeah, we actually get the thing that I don't like is I we get a ton of really useful data from LinkedIn polls. And a lot of the posts I put I'm doing for customers. Like if we have a customer that comes in, I did a poll the other day um asking when you can't find contact data on someone, and by the way, that happens with every data provider. It doesn't matter who you use. When you can't find contact data on someone, what's the if you can only do one action, what's the first thing you're doing? And I did a poll of that the other day. And uh people like I saw some people in the comments like commenting and being like, Why do I have to only pick one? I do all these things. And it's like, no, I'm just trying to figure out what you should prioritize for a workflow for your reps. Because a customer was asking. But I'm sharing that poll with that customer. I'm lending my soapbox that I've created on LinkedIn to help a customer out. And that's something that I couldn't have done. You can't do that on Twitter and get the same reach. You can't do that on Facebook or any of these other social platforms. The real reach is going to be coming from me posting it on my personal account. Those are examples of things that you could do in your post. I don't want to sell out the customer and say, hey, they need help with this. So I make it look like we're trying to gather that data point. But like, you just need to have a giving first mentality. If you're doing posts on social, tell a story about a creative solution you heard someone do that's in your space. Share a podcast or something in your space you've been listening to to learn something to share some institutional wisdom. Give an opinion on something. If you have an opinion on something as you've done sales over the years, you get you become an expert in your area that you sell. Like I'm not an IT or network engineer person, but when I was selling managed DNS to people, I could tell everybody about like who are the best cloud providers, how you should set up your load balancing, what regions you should put your servers in. If you're going to build a point of presence, where where would you put your stuff? And I knew that from just talking to thousands of customers every year on cold calls and emails. I'd be like, where do you guys have your data centers? And I'd hear these cool stories and stuff and be like, I'd write it down. And then I'd put a post out on LinkedIn about like, hey, it seems like a lot of people think Ashburn, Virginia is the best place to put your data center because it's centralized on the East Coast in the middle of like where all these cities are. So like you'll learn institutional wisdom like that through these stories that you have. Make a little log when you're doing cold calls and cold emails of things that you learn and then share that stuff on social. Don't sell out the person that gives you the source unless they tell you to, like they tell you you can. Like Will's going to post this podcast up like because <laughs> he has permission. If But like if, you, if you're like, hey, can I share this? Do you want me to tag you on it? Because I wanted to talk to people about this online anyway. Uh, a lot of people will be flattered that you respect their opinion. So when when this podcast comes out, are you going to share it on your LinkedIn? I, I can if you want me to. Yeah. I <laughs> I the hard the hard part. One thing to tell people too is don't share links on LinkedIn, and it makes a ton of sense when you think of the logic. How does LinkedIn make money? Keeping people engaged. Yeah, keeping people on the platform. Keeping people on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn makes money from people applying for jobs. LinkedIn makes money from people seeing advertisements and clicking on them. LinkedIn makes money from people being on Sales Navigator and Recruiter. Those are kind yeah. of their big tent pole areas. I think they make some stuff on lesson platforms too with the lynda.com acquisition. All these things are on LinkedIn. So if you're going to build a brand online on LinkedIn, don't send people off LinkedIn. If you look at my post, I never just say, 
hey, we're doing a webinar with John Barrows next week. We are, by the way. It's going to be cool. But like, mm-hmm. I don't go and rip that off and say, I'm doing this rate my pitch thing where we're going to look at your cold emails. I'll put a post up about it, but I'm not sending people off the platform. I'll tell them like, hey, I'll put it up in my in the comments below or mm-hmm. like message me if you want to get the link and I'll message it to you. And like that works. It's way better and it keeps people on the platform. Interesting. I hadn't thought of that. A couple of the things I wanted to touch on with you, and this is, you know, I don't want to say it's cliche at this point, but the pandemic changed or or really accelerated, I guess, some changes that were already happening in in sell in sales as a profession on an individual level. But what were from your perspective, what are some of the obstacles that salespeople have had to overcome? And and also as you know, now that we look back, I mean it's almost two years ago at this point that things went sideways. Are there any opportunities that emerged for salespeople? Yes, to both questions. So the biggest obstacle that I think I noticed is I think that there's definitely a lack of camaraderie that you used to have when you'd be on the sales floor with people. If I was cold calling someone and they're a huge jerk to me and I got off the phone, I can nudge my neighbor and be like, dude, this guy was just a huge jerk to me. Or uh, like, yeah. or like, if someone's learning something or you overhear something, you could like, I am them and how to overturn an objection and help each other. And that part kind of disappeared. However, I think there's also been some advantages. That thing we talked about earlier in the podcast about individuality is accelerated even more. You are getting glimpses into your prospects' lives. Like what's in their background? How many times have you been on a call since the pandemic where someone's kid runs in and jumps in their lap or a dog barks or something? You now oh, have- my dog is one of the worst offenders of that. Me too. I literally have to podcast upstairs because I have three corgis downstairs that will bark their brains out if they hear someone else on my on my call. Yeah. You start you start going through and thinking through like you're now getting a glimpse of this stuff. We all were checking email on our phones now, but guess what else is happening? Now you cold call mobile numbers. You don't cold call a desk phone. No, most of these companies abandoned their desk phone contracts and stopped using yeah. them, or they're using phone trees that redirect the cell phones. Right. So. Like there's that individuality that's happening there. And what that means is the approach that you need to take is to be individually motivated with the value proposition that you're saying you're prospecting. I actually think that this is a good thing. Add in the great resignation as another thing too. Everybody's Mm. changing jobs, which means that a lot of companies can't keep up with the talent that they have. They're higher. It's like you're you're taking water out of a rowboat with a hole in it and the water's just coming back in because by the time you hire, you're backfilling that stuff. What that means is all these companies are actually changing too. You have one third of the workforce changing jobs last year. I think it was one third. It might even be more now. I'm not sure what the data says. But back in the summer, it was one third of the workforce had changed jobs. There was something I saw a stat recently that in November, November alone was 3%. Right. Yeah, which is crazy. So you you figure that about one third of the people you're talking to won't be at that company in the next 18 months. Actually, it's half of 18 months, but um, you start going through this process and thinking through it. These organizations are changing and you need to reflect that. The other cool part is if you lost any business in 2019 or early 2020, go back to those old ops and see how different their companies are and be like, hey, last time you looked at our product, things were really different, right? What has changed there? And if things haven't changed, I'm not trying to be a jerk. The prospect might be lying to you even. Everybody's been affected and done different things. We had offices. I was going to build a cool big office in New Hampshire. And now like 25 people are working from home. We don't see each other anymore. Like everything's changed here too. And that's a, you touched on a big thing, which is a huge opportunity for prospecting is prospecting into accounts that you didn't win. Yeah. Yeah. Two, three years ago, whatever it might be. The other, the other interesting part 
is there's also a lot more noise online. And I think that that makes it a little bit trickier. You have to, I'm going to quote a marketing principle here, but Seth Godin says, has a book called The Purple Cow. And the concept is if you're driving in a field and you see a bunch of white cows and then you see a purple cow, what do you do? You pull over and stop. You take a picture of it. You share it with your friends. You post it on social. You're telling everybody about this. You all need to go out there and be the purple cow when you sell mail because there's way more people doing this stuff. The average cold email reply rate dipped below 1% for the first time in 2020. The average cold call connect rate dipped below 3%. So how are you going to do things to fix that? And the best way to fix that is to make a meaningful first impression with someone, make someone feel loved, make them feel special, stand out a little bit. You know what stinks? We're all going to do that and then we're going to have to do something else too. Like it's just just a, a cycle. But the new cycle is... You're wasting a touch point if you're just sending a template off to somebody. Good segue into one of the other things I wanted to ask you about. You talked about, you know, the, the turnover rates and the great resignation, how how things are changing with so many organizations. So based on that, and there's a lot of talk today, I see it and talk to people about the need to take more of an account-based focus versus an individual lead-based focus. So to a large extent, that shouldn't be really considered something new. You know, the whole idea that there's large buying committees and organizations, multiple decision makers, all that sort of thing. But today, when you think about account, an account-based approach when it comes to prospecting, what what's going on? And, and, and is there a mindset there that's different that a salesperson needs to have? Yeah. A couple of things have changed. Because you're not having the water cooler talks that used to be in the office, you have to sell to more people at a company. The worst reason for someone to adopt software is because their boss told them they had to. And that's that's kind of what's happening now. You're not selling to leaders anymore. You're selling to users. That's why you're seeing all these organizations shift to like that product-led growth kind of mindset when they're selling stuff online and trying to get people to get into the product first and then sell that way. It's coming down to this idea that you need to sell to not just the leaders, but get the individuals involved early. One of the best ways to do this, and this is actually kind of a new concept that I've been working on a little bit. In, in it's in it's in my uh, my back burner or my oven as I'm baking this idea. I'm preheating right now. Is trying to create virality inside of a company, and that account based approach needs to be that. There's some data out there that says it's now over 12 buyers that have to sign off when you buy something at an average company if they're publicly traded. 12. Mm. Your most people get a meeting with one person. They make the opportunity in Salesforce. So what are you doing to loop those people in? Well, you need to go to that person and say, hey, this is usually who's involved. And instead of saying these roles, go look at LinkedIn and come in and say, these are the 10 people I think would care about this. Does that sound right? And let them tell you who is and who isn't right for the deal. Navigate through it with them. Do the work for the person you're trying to sell to. Because they they might not know either. They're not running into these people in the office anymore. Yeah, it's it's a good, as an experience... If you're an experienced salesperson, you know who the typical roles are that are going to be involved in the decision-making process. So you're right. Use a tool like LinkedIn where you can not only find the the job titles, but you can find the actual person themselves. Go look at who's recommending these people at those companies too. That's usually their boss. It's that easy. Like you have social, the answers are there. You're, it's like you're taking a test and it's an open book test. Yeah. Last question I want to just have you touch on before we we wrap up. And it, it, it's related to the whole great resignation thing and, and, and the turnover that's happening. But so sales burnout seems to be, it's a very real thing. And, you know, we see articles about turnover, retention issues, all those sorts of things. And if you talk about wanting salespeople to make sure that they feel proud of their profession in sales and that, that sales is fun, where do you think salespeople stop having fun 
or get burnout and and what can they and and maybe even more so what can their leaders do to help prevent that the worst thing you could do to a person is make them feel like they're not appreciated and not let them be themselves if someone has to not be themselves and has to read off your scripts and your sequences and your cadences and your emails and all that stuff and you have to feed off that and it doesn't have their fingerprints on it they're going to get burned out they're going to feel sad they're going to feel like they're worthless. And the best way to create value for somebody is to put them in a place where you embrace them being themselves. You allow them to be creative. And you also do like do some of the stuff. If you're a manager or a salesperson, like a sales leader, roll up your sleeves and do some prospecting with the people and show them how it's done. Like show them. I know a lot of you haven't probably done it in a decade, but it's very different than it was 10 years ago. And the steps and the process that it takes to do that stuff is literally 5x what it was maybe just five years ago with the amount of clicks and actions they have to take to do something. So put yourself in their shoes, get some empathy, and let them be themselves. And you'll 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 see the morale go up on this stuff. Uh, embrace it. And it, if someone, do, the, the only two things I'd recommend is stay away from politics, stay away from religion, avoid stuff like that when you're, do, when you're being yourself on these things yeah. and you'll be safe. Because yeah. you don't, you don't want someone to like go and do things that are polarizing for someone. Good. That's really helpful. Thank you. So we are going to wrap up like we typically do on mental selling. We're going to wrap up with three quick personal questions for Ryan to touch on. Yep. Question one, Ryan, what's, I like asking this question and people, you always learn something about them along the way. What's a movie that everyone seems to universally love, but that you really secretly, or maybe not so secretly dislike? Okay. I am a huge, huge movie buff, and it has been decades since I've seen this movie. I probably haven't watched it since I was in college. I can't get into The Godfather. Wow. Goodfellas is one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm team Goodfellas all the way. I don't understand. I Maybe I need to watch it again as an adult, like a, a, you know, a, grown, a grown person and understand it more. I don't like The Godfather, and it's like the number one rated movie on IMDb. Interesting. As someone yeah. that's half Italian, I'll try to not take offense to that. I, I love Goodfellas. No, I love Goodfellas. And also I know I like I like I love a lot of those type of movies. And for some reason I, I can't get into it. I've, i my wife is the same. I keep trying to get my wife to watch The Godfather and she refuses to invest the four hours it would take. Question two, if you so you live in the New Hampshire area. If you didn't live where you do today, what's a city or region that you would most want to live in? I have talked about this a lot as a hypothetical. If I ever got shunned and banished from New England. I would live in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I love Ann Arbor, Michigan. I think it's really? beautiful there. Oh, yeah, I've been there a couple of times. Beautiful area. Beautiful. I like the college town there. Uh, yeah. I like that it's close to Chicago and Detroit. I think it's a yeah. cool spot. Cool. And last question. So I know you're a big sports fan. I've, I've seen you in some of your posts make reference to that. As a sports fan, and you're in New England, so I probably know what some what these answers might be, but what is the highest high and the lowest low that you've experienced as a sports fan? Okay. Highest high is kind of crazy because I'm a New England Patriots fan. I'm actually a season ticket holder with my dad. Like we've, I've, I've, I've been a Patriots fan since 1991, so I'm not like a only seeing good stuff part of that. But I think them beating the Rams in the first Super Bowl was probably like the highlight. But up there would be 28-3 and the Malcolm Butler in, uh, interception. Both those things are like really close to that first Super Bowl. Nothing beats the first Super Bowl of upsetting the Rams. And the lowest low is obviously... David Tyree's catch, 17 and 0 season or an 18 and 1 season, 2007 New England Patriots in the Super Bowl getting upset. That like just ate my insides out and killed me. 
I can understand. I got and I got to tell you, I, I grew up out west, and I've been a Rams fan since 1978. So oh, wow. if I was cool. doing this and giving my lowest low, it's your highest high. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, uh, that that's definitely it, though. Like it's just they almost had the perfect season. They should have had the perfect season. It's such a heartbreaker. Yeah. Well, Ryan, thank you again so much. This has been tremendously insightful. I think everybody listening to this will learn a lot. And if if you have learned anything, please share it with others. I would invite any of you to follow Ryan, maybe connect with him on LinkedIn. You can also follow Ryan on Twitter at R-Y O'Hara. Do I have that correct? Yeah, you did it. Nailed it. So thank you again. This has been great. Really appreciate it. We look forward to maybe having you back at a later date as a guest, because I think there's a lot more that we could explore with you. But until then, this has been great. Thanks to everybody for listening. Be sure to check this episode out, other episodes, and um, we have upcoming episodes every other Thursday that are scheduled. So subscribe, give us a, a like, give us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you again for joining us today on Mental Selling. Thanks a lot, Will. At Integrity Solutions, we believe you need a different approach to sales and service to succeed in tomorrow's world. We know that sales performance isn't just about what you know, it's about who you are. We are performance experts who enable sales teams to build trusted customer relationships with integrity at their core. For over 50 years, Integrity Solutions has specialized in award-winning, innovative sales, service, and coaching training solutions that fuel performance, grow talent, lift up customers, and elevate leaders. Our solutions connect knowledge, skills, and values to help our clients embrace their roles with a greater sense of purpose and outperform year after year. No one is better at unleashing the mental side of selling. Learn more about our unique approach and the clients and industries we proudly serve at IntegritySolutions.com. You've been listening to Mental Selling, an Integrity Solutions podcast. Stay in touch with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player and following us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Please give us a rating, leave a comment and share episodes you love. That helps us keep empowering sales and service leaders to master the mental side of selling. Until next time, let's go out and create amazing customer experiences.